You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants will be in the studio shortly with some news for us along with a few wine recommendations, I hope. I pay a visit to the Kingdom where I talk to Artie Clifford about this year's Blossnairn Awards and I call to Bernie Doe of the Just Cooking Cookery School in Fieries. And staying with the awards theme, food writer Dee Laffin will be on the phone to tell us about the recent Irish Food Writers Guild annual awards. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And I won't delay the proceedings any further as I know Ron Forrestal is always a popular guest with his wine recommendations. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're welcome to the studio this evening and you have a bit of exciting news for us. Yes, thanks, Sharon. Um, yes, yeah, over the last um, few weeks, um, I've uh, joined forces with another company, a company, a, a very long-established family company in the Stoll, um called John Galvin & Son. He, John, the current John Galvin is the fourth generation in the drinks business. He's a Guinness distributor for Kerry, a long-established, very well-respected company, and he needed... To, to develop his wine business and I had a wine business that needed to expand. So we've come together and uh, it's uh, it's been great. The last few weeks have been great. Um, so it's onwards and upwards. We now produced a new portfolio of wines with probably about 50 wines added. So we've gone over 200 wines at the moment available. But nothing changes in general. It's the same. I still drive a van a couple of days a week uh, dropping stuff around. Uh, but it just gives me a huge opportunity to expand, which is what I need to needed to happen. Well, tell us a bit about some of the new wines then that have been added to the portfolio. Yes, well, I've been building up some. Uh, some of these now I've had for the last few months but hadn't been on the, the 2015 portfolio. But I've taken on a new range of Burgundy wines uh, called Thomas Basso, um, which is a whole range of Macon, Chablis, Beaujolais Village, Fleury, a uh, really nice range of product, even as far down as Coterones. Uh, we've another French range, uh, Domaine de la Pinede. That's a new one. So I've had it for the last few months, but it's on the list new this time. We have from the New World Inn, from uh, from New Zealand, we have Wither Hills, which is one that you may recognize in a little bit. It's been around a while. Um, and from Australia, um, South America, Chile, Argentina, Louis Bosco from Argentina. Um, so all in all, I think there's about 58 new wines going on. But it's a lot it's there. A lot, it's a lot. It's a big range. And you know them all so intimately, which is great. Yeah, well, it's you get used to talking about them. So it's, um, but it's great. It gives me a great opportunity because I do a lot of business in towns like um, a day or in that per, I'd have a good bit of business in restaurants. So it's important to have a big range that you can, you can don't have the same products showing up in the same restaurants beside each other. That's very important. They dislike that. They want to, ha- to they have, have something like different and new. In their own town, anyway, on their own street, at least, that there's nobody else with it. So this gives me a huge opportunity to do more business in towns like that. I see in the first couple of pages here you have pouring wines. What does it's, that mean, pouring wines, well, compared to what's in the rest of the portfolio? Well, now if you, it, it's changed over the years, but if you see, um, these are house wines, effectively. Um, people are getting away from the word house wine because house wine had the connotations of it being probably the cheapest thing on the list. Um, whereas 
poor reminds me that they would have four whites and four reds maybe by the glass like they'll have a Pinot Grigio Sauvignon Blanc Chardonnay maybe a Chenin Blanc in whites and then a red Merlot Cabernet Shiraz Timbernil something different whatever it may be so the pouring wines would be available by the glass but they wouldn't necessarily be all the same price so they could be you could have a glass of wine starting at 4.75 or 4.90 then they might have another glass available at 5.50 another one at 6 another one at 7 depending it just means better product it means that you can go into a restaurant you can get a nice glass of wine you can get a nice Australian Shiraz it might cost you 7 euros to do that but you know for people who don't get out that much and like a nice glass of wine then you know it's not a huge deal but it gives huge choice to the customer so these are kind of pouring wines which fit that bracket uh, they're throughout the list as well they're just part of the list they're repeated again in the list afterwards somebody once advised me that whenever you're looking at the wine list and there were house wines on it to go for kind of the second or third mm. more most expensive one is that not the cheapest but the next one or the one after that that it would always be a very good wine at very good value yeah, it, you know, and that goes for any product, um, really. It's, uh, it's. Um, I'll tell you a quick story about coffins, uh, which should, explains this thing. The, uh, the, I know a guy who was doing a job in, in a in a in a funeral home where there was all casks and coffins laid out, and he was very, he was doing a building job in it, and he said to the guy who owned it, "You got to move these out of the way because I'm going to damage them." And he said, "No, no, you're fine. You didn't have to do much." So as making conversations, which is the most expensive one, or which is the cheapest one? He said that varies. Because I moved the price around on the cheapest one because nobody wants to buy the cheapest coffin. Nobody wants to say that they bought the cheapest coffin. Whereas if I had the cheapest one, it would never sell. So you just move around between the two or three bottom ones. So this goes on for everything. It's, it means that <clears throat> a lot of people like to sit on the one, say if the house wine is 18 or 19 euros, that they're willing to spend 20 or 22 euros probably. And the chances are the house wine is as good as anything else that's there. Um, so it's just people really trying to push that out slightly, you know, trying to get something a little bit better. And they are, in fairness, like they are buying a better product, probably. But really, unless you jump up a few euros, like six or seven euros on a wine list or eight euros, you may not see a remarkable difference between those. Well, I note now that the two wines you've brought in tonight are on the pouring wines list here. Yes, they are. And the reason I brought them in is because they're very popular and they have quite a following. This is a product I've been selling for since I've started, since the first small list that I put together uh, over three years ago. These were on the top of the list because I knew these products in the past. Um, I had sold, from the same winery, I had sold uh, a similar product for years. They're exceptionally good. They're from Vistamar in Chile. Um, they're very good value. They come in a range of Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Merlot, um, Chardonnay, and a Rosé as well. Uh, they're called Brissa, if anyone has seen them. The, um, the Sauvignon Blanc and the Cabernet particularly are the two ones that, that really sell very well and they have a great following. People really like these products and they're very, very good value. I've been sold at like just over nine euros, uh, you know, under 10 euros a bottle. So, and uh, they're in no supermarkets or anything. They're exclusive to us. So they don't show up in any supermarkets or shops. Or, and know. all of your wines in the portfolio, even the new ones, like none of those are available anywhere except from yourselves or other major distributors. Exactly. Uh, I actually only have one product that's available um, in a shop. I have one product. And I only have it because I have three or four people who want it. And it's an expensive product, so it doesn't, you know, it's not the same as it being a nine. It's a Muga, it's, it's a, a Rioja, Spanish Rioja. You know, it, it costs 20 euros a bottle. But it has a following because it's hard enough to get. 
but it does show up in shops. You must bring that in next time. It's lovely. <laughs> it's very nice. Uh, it's very good. Well, tell us what the Brisa goes well with, the Sauvignon Blanc to start with. Well, what it goes particularly well with is, is it's, it's a good aperitif. You don't particularly need to, to be eating with it. Uh, although it works perfectly well with anything, the Sauvignon Blanc works perfectly well with anything with butter or cream or oils in it. But it works very well for a glass of wine, for a reception. You know, you'd have to, you know, that kind of fashion show idea where you stand around and have a glass of wine or where you're waiting to go into dinner and want to have a glass of wine. And that's where it goes really well. And I, I sell this to a number of bars. And what they found is that they, they have people who come in and get a bottle of it. You know, where they have two or three, a couple or maybe part of two couples, whatever it may be, get a bottle of it because the quality of these these particular products are much better than quarter bottles. Like, there's no comparison at all. You're very anti the quarter I bottles. I really am, yeah. You made that queer, clear on a, on one of the last occasions you were probably last year that you're not a fan of them. No, they just, they bear no relation to the full bottle equivalent. None at all. Even if you get the same quarter bottle as the full bottle, I guarantee if you put the two of them together, they don't taste remotely alike. Um, which means that they're, they're an absolute afterthought for the people who made them. They make them for a couple of markets in the world. They don't care a great deal about them. And it's a price thing. They're all dealt with on price. And they're so expensive to produce. You can imagine shipping 24, a case of 24 nickel quarter bottles from South Africa or Chile, the cost of those. So you're paying for the fact that somebody moved them halfway around the world in a tiny little bottle. Um, it's just... It's just um, it makes no uh, economical sense to do that and something has to suffer and it's always the wine and you have said before correct me now if I'm wrong that Ireland has a huge consumption per capita Massive. of the quarter yeah, bottles it's, it's a huge market for anybody that's producing quarter bottles there's only three markets for quarter bottles in the world um, the airlines and they tend to be plastic PET. They're, they're not glass anymore. You can't get a glass quarter bottle anymore on a plane. And the English market, which is tiny, really small in, compar- in comparison to their other wine market. And Ireland, which is completely out of bounds with any other. Um, and I know the reason for it. And I, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a stocking. It's, a, it's an issue for bars to keep glasses of wine open because they don't go through enough volume in order to do it. They can't have you know, two whites and two reds open in a bar because they're not selling them on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. So they're in trouble with that then. And what do they do with them? Show them away. So this, it's a cost issue. Whereas the quarter bottles, if you buy 24 of them, you sell 24 of them. Mm-hmm. And I feel sorry for the bars because the quarter bottles are very expensive to buy. So they're, you know, they're, they'd rather sell glasses if they could, but they just can't. Uh, logistically, it's very difficult to do it. Okay. Well, that's the, the Sauvignon Blanc and the yep. Brisa. Then you have the Cabernet Sauvignon as well, the red. What yep. does it go well with? It's, it's a fairly full-bodied red, so it goes well with anything with red meat. Uh, it has a sister Merlot as well. The Merlot is very nice. Merlot is a bit softer to drink. Uh, maybe not as full-bodied as the Cabernet Sauvignon is. But now these are very reasonably priced products. So, you know, they're... they're like there's a step up from this, which is a reserve level from this producers called Sepia, which is their their next range, and then there's a Grand Reserve range as well. Um, so, you know, a few euros makes a lot of difference in these products as well. But I just think these are exceptionally good value for the price that they are, and uh, you know, you don't find them in any shops or anything. So it's nice that too. You know, if you're having something. Well, people might be getting ready for Easter, might be looking for a case or two of wine. So are yeah. you available to take orders? Absolutely. And nothing has changed at all. We still drop off six bottles, three bottles of red, three bottles of white or whatever. Maybe we have no issue with that at all. 
And so. the website is still forestal.ie. Forestal.ie. Okay, fantastic. Well, listen, congratulations on the new venture so with Galvin's and we wish you all the best with it. Super. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great to see Ron in the studio. And if you have a wine question that you'd like me to put to him on the next visit, you can email it to me, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll be sure to pass it on. Still to come tonight, I pay a visit to the Kingdom, where I called a Bernie Doe at the Just Cooking Cookery School in Fieries, and food writer Dee Laffin will be on the phone to tell us about the Irish Food Writers Guild Annual Awards. And speaking of awards and the kingdom, I recently had the pleasure of being invited to the IET in Tralee to give a guest lecture to a lovely group of culinary arts students. And when I was there, I met up with Artie Clifford. Artie founded the Irish Food Awards, a.k.a. the Blosna Erin, nine years ago, and it was great to chat to him about the 2016 awards. So let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Artie, great to see you. And it's that time of year again. The Blossom Erin Awards are coming up and you're going to be taking entries shortly. Oh, very soon, Sharon, yeah. Um, we're opening for entries uh, again this year on the 17th of March. And we'll have an early bird entry until the 30th of April. And then we'll close entries on the 17th of June. Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at Blossom Erin Awards, depending on who you are. So if I'm a consumer now out doing my shopping, what should I be looking out for? Um, we would hope that all our past winners would be carrying the accreditation. Um, the BLAS symbol is the most recognised of uh, food accreditations in the country at the moment and it's seen as a mark of quality. Um, because it's blind tasted um, it means that there's there's no influence on the judges through packaging design or innovation on packaging or anything like that. It's basically down to what's inside the packet. So if it says Blasna Herden and it says zesty lemon flavour, then we know it is zesty lemon flavour. This is the ninth year of the awards. So what has changed between this year and the very first year that you did it? I know it's hard to believe nine years. Um, well, year one we had four hundred entries. Um, year eight we had two and a half thousand entries. The biggest change I think is probably the categories. Um, in year one we had thirty six categories. In uh, last year in two fifteen we had one hundred and six categories. Now, a lot of the reasons that those categories um, become categories, we'll say, is a growth in areas or. The simplest thing to the simplest way to explain it to you, Sharon, is that um, last year we split the juice category into vegetable and fruit juices because, as we all know, um, if you've got two juices side by side, will one that's a fruit-based juice taste better than a vegetable-based juice? Um, but also, what we're seeing is the growth in vegetable-based juices. So the carrots and the beetroots and all that are starting to come true. So it's only fair that they should have their own category and compete, as we always say in Blasna Heron, on a level playing field. And I'd imagine nine years ago you didn't have any vegetable juices entering. No, uh, we actually didn't have. Uh, we had a soft drinks category. We didn't have a juice category. Um, we also didn't have the separation that we have in the beers and the craft ciders and all that that have grown. We didn't have a separation in spirits. We now have uh, dark spirits, white spirits. We have two categories in ciders. I think we have four categories in beers because there's stouts, beers, lagers. So, yeah, it's a reflection on the industry itself over the last nine years has grown the growth of all these areas and new foods. Um, the one thing that we do know, nine years ago, we all know where we were, Sharon, 
Um, but the food industry was the one thing that kept on changing, innovating, expanding. Um, so trends, we see trends every year. Um, and the acceptance of, as you say there, with those vegetable-based juices, the acceptance. Now, I tasted one recently, which is a sweet grass juice. And my expectation, looking at the color and the texture, um, the flavor of it actually exceeded my expectations. You weren't expecting much from it by the signs of it. Well, you know, a lot of these, it's it's healthy, so drink it anyway. But this actually had a, um, I think I'll have a bit more. It's had a, a Moorish or a Moorish uh, flavour. Well, that's actually a good reason for a producer to submit their product to these awards because if there is a perception there that is a bit negative about a, a product that's maybe a healthy type product that isn't expected to taste very good because mm. gluten-free products are another range of products that I get a sense that you don't really expect much from the taste of them however if they have the air and sticker on them that actually tells you a lot about them well it's appearance aroma texture and taste and they're the criteria that the base criteria are the objective criteria that we use in judging. So, um, as you say, they're gluten free. The one thing I'll tell you about gluten free is gluten free tends to use the highest quality ingredients. For instance, a caramel slice that's gluten free. Um, I recently tasted one and I kind of said to the lady who produced it, I said, do you know you shouldn't really be putting gluten-free on that? Just say caramel slice and then let the retailer or the um, catering established turn around and say, oh, it's on our gluten-free list because it was fabulous. But the, the standard of ingredients that they use in gluten-free now, um, whatever the change is, Sharon, the, the, the competition in the market, the demand for dietary-specific foods means that those breads that we used to buy in pharmacists um, and we used to eat because it was our dietary specific. The people involved in that industry now producing dietary specific products know that they have to have flavour, quality, texture, taste. So. so that's one reason to enter is because you're going to introduce your product to maybe a wider audience. Why should consumers enter apart from that? Producers, um, why should they enter? It's the recognition. Um, to build their brand, to have an accreditation. Um, from a producer, and I was a producer, Sharon, is a lot of the time us producers have our heads down, um, are doing beavering away, and sometimes all we just need is a clap on the back. Somebody to say to you, you know, you're going the right direction. You know, to reach the finals in Blast the Heron with the size of the competition now, to be a finalist in any category is an accreditation straight away. And we mustn't forget the showcase that you run on a Friday and a Saturday over the weekend because there's some major buyers that aren't just Irish but from across the water that would come along to that. Yeah, over the years, that uh, networking event, the supermarket that we build in two days and knock down in three, <laughs> um, does attract an awful lot of um, high-quality buyers, more and more uh, buyers coming in from um, Norway, Switzerland, Dubai, the UK, France, Spain and they're traveling to dingle that weekend to find the best of irish producers yeah so i mean it's not just about introducing the product to the consumer it's doing it via some very well established buyers 
Absolutely. Um, from large uh, European retailers to specialty stores uh, based in the UK, I know that um, over the last number of years we've had from the top stores, Fortnum Mason, Harrods, Selfridges, um, recognising the quality of Irish products. Uh, Irish products are recognised in Europe as being quality, but the buyers are coming in to get to the producer before other buyers. So it is the um, their objective when traveling to, to Dingle on that weekend is to meet the producers, to meet the people behind the food. Because a lot of the time, the passion of the producer is transferred through the product that they're producing. And buyers know that. Let's talk briefly now about the process. So you're going to be open for entries from St. Patrick's Day. Mm -hmm. Fill in a form and what's the next step? Yeah, we're open for entries on the 17th of March. Um, It's an online entry system. The producer logs in, creates their profile, and then it's a step-by-step process. Um, Once that happens, they will get an email to say that their entry is uh, accepted. And uh, once they've met all the criteria and the terms and conditions, uh, they will receive an email telling them delivery date. Um, the delivery dates will then be in July. The initial judging will take place in Cork. Um, we are this year, Sharon, trying to encourage consolidation of um, deliveries to Cork. So we're actually speaking to a transport company at the moment to see if we can get depots nationwide. Because I know as a small producer, To sit into your car to drive from Donegal to Cork with a package, Um, I know you don't want to let it out of your sight, but um, I know the difficulty it is, I know the time it takes, I know the cost of it. So what we want to do is keep entry level cost as low as possible and then the ancillary costs in delivery and such and getting the product to us in Cork for the initial judging um, as low as possible because this competition is open to all producers in Ireland. Um, and what we want to do is we want to keep it level playing field so keep the costs down keep the costs of getting the product to us in Cork down and making it fair so is that and as has happened in past years is small young new producers have come to the top um, and have taken a lot of them um, goals in their categories and some have even reached the uh, grade of supreme champion some people might be wondering why Cork, you have a partnership with UCC. Yeah, when we um, first thought up the idea of actually judging Irish food in Ireland, um, I spoke with a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Joe Kerry, in uh, the School of Nutritional Food Science in UCC. And the relationship we developed was to how to judge food. So the judging criteria um, was designed in Cork win cooperation with a university in Denmark um, and what we wanted to do with UCC was to have a system for judging Irish food which was fair but um, which meant I suppose Sharon it meant that the the products coming into us were judged on their merit not the marketing not the finance behind them not the big company not the advertising campaign so the product when it's been judged initially in Cork and also in Dingle is blind tasted which means it's on a plate with a number it's a black pudding it doesn't say who it is and the judges then score it on its own merit so there's no preconception that because it bears a big name that it must be excellent 
Okay, fantastic. Well, I look forward to some special finds in October. Hopefully the weather won't be as windy as what it is today. It's blowing a gale out there now. If people want to get more information, what website should they go to? It'll be www.irishfoodawards.com. They can contact us direct by email at info at irishfoodawards.com and we also publish our phone numbers on the website. So if they need a little bit of advice, they can always give us a call. Fantastic. Artie, all the best with it. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you, Sharon. Good luck. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants had some wine suggestions for us. And just before the break, you heard me out and about talking to Artie Clifford about the Irish Food Awards, which are open for entries this Thursday, St. Patrick's Day. So best of luck if you are entering. Don't forget, if you missed any of the show so far, it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We still have another Kerry interview to come tonight and that's with Bernie Doe, originally from Newcastle West, but now living in Fieries, where, along with her husband Mark, she runs the Just Cooking Cookery School. But before that, we're staying with awards. The Irish Food Writers Guild recently announced the recipients of their annual awards and member Dee Laffin is on the phone now with more details. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinter. Dee, welcome to the show this evening and you're going to tell us about the Irish Food Writers Guild Awards. Now these awards are a bit different from other awards in that you don't actually enter them. Yeah, that's right. Um, Basically the um, Irish Food Writers Guild is, um, uh, as it says, it's a guild of um, uh, food writers from around Ireland, all across the country. And we basically get together once a year and we nominate um, the uh, entries um, ourselves. So just to make clear that no producers can enter themselves. It's just something that as we work throughout the year, you know, we'd meet through various food festivals or just through our work, we'd meet um, different food producers or come across a new product um, and we would decide then, that, so I'd take note of that, for example, myself. And then when we come to our nomination day, um, we all sit down and we discuss our nominations and everyone brings them to the table. Um, and, you know, this is their, the 26th, 22nd sorry, year that of the award. Um, and it's really celebration of, you know, indigenous food producers and organizations. You know, they're, they're just it's important, uh, you know, because they recognize those who create um, products, you know, they make them, and you know, just to share the great produce that that are that's out there, and the outstanding kind of reputation that has grown in Ireland for this produce, and just we really want to highlight that ourselves. Um, so, um, you know, and just uh, once we kind of all nominate, then we shortlist um, the different categories, and then the winners are picked on a different day. So it takes a few different um, sessions of nominating and discussing and everything and trying all the products and everything. If anyone's not aware, then we all make sure everyone has had a chance to try and taste and everything. And so we are the sole nominating and decision-making body on the awards. That's what makes them different. And how many of you sit down to discuss it? Because there's quite a few members in the Guild, I believe. 
Yeah, and you have to forgive me, um, I'm not 100% sure of what how many members we have now, but I believe it's definitely over 50. Um, and, you know, Aoife Carrigy is um, the chairperson at the moment, and Kristen Jensen is the secretary. Um, and, you know, we would generally, as many people as possible would would make it to, to the nominations. And if they can't make it, like, to, actually to the phys- physically to the meeting, they would, you know, send in nominations via email that they filled out and then, um, you know, they'd be there for the, the, the shortlisting or the decision-making days. Um, some, like, I mean, the, you know, the Guild was originally founded by, um, there's a few founding members, but one of them in particular, I know people would recognise the name and that's Myrtle Allen. Um, you know, and then there's people like Georgina Campbell, she's the president and she's been in the Guild, you know, she's one of the founding members, been there for a long time. Um, and there, there are other people like, um, you know, Donald Skihan is a member and um, the other Allens, Rachel and Darina, they're members. And then you've got Emen McDonnell and, um, you know, lo- loads of other, there's newer members like Aoife McElwain and, um, sorry, I'm just trying to, you know, off the top of your head and you're trying to recall all the names. We've got also Ernie Wally from the Sunday Times, um, Leslie Williams. Um, loads of members so all familiar names um, who are writing about food and drink in Ireland and um, you know all those members would be very aware of the products and producers in Ireland we all would have a very good knowledge anyway so it's just a matter of highlighting which ones and I mean every year there's always loads of people when we make that short list it's really unfortunate that we have to you know there's always like oh well maybe next year for them because they were so close you know we we had to kind of make a decision. And this year, when we made a decision, there were six award winners altogether. Tell us who they were now. Yeah, of course, no problem. Um, I just want to mention that the just about the awards, just as well before I call out each of the members or of the award winners, was that um, we held it in past restaurant Patrick Gibo this year for the first time, which is a, a Ireland's only two Michelin star restaurant. And um, Chef Guillaume Lebrun, he... Um, created a recipe or, or sorry he created dishes um, f- from with all the ingredients with all the producers uh, products who had won so we had given him obviously the, the winners ahead of time he had gotten the products in and he had devised a menu for the day so it was and there was you know a lot of members there and other people who were invited to it so it was a really great day and a great award ceremony and you know a lot of thanks had to be given to Restaurant Patrick Gibo and, and Guillaume and the staff there as well for that um, but the six winners were in no particular order. Uh, first of all, a food award went to uh, Mossfield Organic Milk, and that's uh, Ralph Haslam in County Offaly. Um, Mossfield Organic Farm, um, they are renowned for their, their cheese, um, and they've actually previously won uh, an award years ago for, for the cheese. Um, Mossfield Milk is, you know, it's organic. Ralph took the decision after three decades of conventional farming to convert to organic methods in 1999. And um, so what that means is that, you know, he basically takes a very complex approach to his farming where he's like reseeding fields, you know, with up to two dozen different types of grasses and herbs and, you know, to make sure that the soil is, you know, depending on the soil, he'll plant different herbs and, and grasses and you know, this organic plus system is what it's called. It encourages wonderful um, biodiversity and promotes the health of the soil and then obviously the animals and then obviously the produce from the animals. So you're going to get a really rich flavoured milk and that's exactly what 
he gets and that's exactly why he won the award. The second award went to um, the Wild Irish Foragers and that's Sharon and Gordon Green in County Offaly. Um, this is um, an amazing couple who basically, um, they're fifth, they have a fifth generation Midlands cattle farm and to cut a long story short, they basically have foraged the hedgerows around the farm and it's turned into this wonderful um, place that grows like loads of different kind of um, uh, damsons and honeysuckle and nettles and blackberries and loads of different things and they produce syrups, jellies, shrubs and sauces made from those wild ingredients. It's really unusual um, in terms of like the range. It's it's so vast, it's unique, it's fantastic and it, and it's really deserved uh, the award. And they've won lots of other awards from between the Bloss Nairn and the Great yeah, Taste Awards as well. Their products are really getting recognition now, which is great because, you know, it's a really hard process. Labour intensive, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going out, trying to, you know, forage for all those ingredients and then, you know, going through all the different processes for the various different uh, variety of products they have to get that final tasty um, ingredient. And, you know, the great the products are great because they also have different ones that are good for different things. You know, they're really good health nutritional wise as well. So really worth looking into um, but also they're all very tasty as well so I've tried some of the jams they're absolutely fantastic and one of their neighbours also got an award Joe Fitzmaurice of Riot Rye in Clock Jordan yeah that's right and there was actually quite a lot of awards from the Midlands this year no particular reason just coincidental there was four in total the two I've mentioned and then as you said the third was for Joe Fitzmaurice he won um, a special contribution to Irish Food Award Um, Joe basically uh, Joe transformed Clock Jordan wood-fired bakery uh, into its current incarnation, which is Riot Rye Bakehouse and Bread School. And he uh, works there together in business uh, with his wife, Julie Lockett. And basically, um, you know, three times a week, Joe fires up the sustainably sourced local beech and ash timber in this self-built um, masonry oven. And he bakes 200 organic loaves for the local community in Clock Jordan Eco Village but also so for some neighbouring towns and villages. But that's that's all he that's all he bakes, and he deliberately does that so that um, to dedicate time to you know other things like educating people on real bread, as we call it. And he was one of the founders of the real bread, real bread Ireland, and the real bread movement. That is kind of you know um, a lot of people might have heard about around the country, and that's just highlighting really that what wholesome, nourishing, delicious bread really is all about. And his bread would be available in Limerick Milk Market regularly, as are Silver Darling's herons. Yeah, so Silver Darling's then, this was an award that um, we're kind of skipping down to uh, Limerick now. Um, So Christy, um, Christy, sorry, O'Kelly, she moved to Ireland from Finland in 1999 and but, you know, she never really lost kind of obviously her upbringing and her taste for, you know, that pickled herring, which is so, um, you know, everyone recognizes being a very Nordic thing. And um, she basically started, she was managing a restaurant in Limerick and she decided to start making uh, traditional pickled herrings, um, but with obviously Irish um, ingredients, um, Irish fish. And um, she's been making silver darlings uh, since uh, 2013. It was March then. Uh, Sorry, in March 2013, it was launched and she has six distinct uh, flavours in the range. Things like uh, the classic dills, pickles, uh, midsummer herring. And then you've got things like fresh fennel and tar- tarragon herring uh, with pink peppercorns. So there's 
there's there's loads of other flavors and it's just fantastic product um it just has to be tried i mean it's, it's just beautiful um so and then the skipping back then to the midlands for our final um midlands award and that went to um it was our irish drink award which went to white gypsy russian imperial stout um that's from the white gypsy brewery in uh templemore county tipperary and it was Quillon Nan there who has the brewery. And it's the first time an Irish Food Writers Guild Award has gone to an Irish beer. Um, and it was so it was something kind of, it, we thought it was quite appropriate. It seems like it was the, the stout, which is very much a national symbol in Ireland. Um, so basically, the while the Russian Imperial Stout is produced in a traditional style, um, its innovative brewer, Quillon, he introduced it to the White Gypsy stable with a non-traditional drinker in mind. So it's, it's to be served in restaurants as a great value, local alternative alternative to imported wine. So, you know, it has a very distinct flavor. Um, it's brilliant with like like cheeses and rich game and, and beef and stuff like that. Um, it has an ABV of, of 7%. So it's a really fantastic product. And it's great to see another Midlands um, uh, producer getting an award. And obviously the first time a stout in Ireland has gotten an award from us, which is brilliant as well. So well deserved there as well. And the final one then is um, Highbank Organic Orchards. Yeah, so um, the final award is for our environmental award. And that went to Rod and Julie Calderpots in Highbank Orchards, uh, Highbank Organic Orchards in County Kilkenny. Now, Rod and Julie Calderpots, again, they are, um, they've also previously won an, an award in 2013, but it was for their Irish organic syrup, um, which is purely made from apples, no added sugars, sweeteners, and it's grown, distilled and bottled on Highbank Farm. But this year they were they won the Environmental Award. Um, I mean, originally planted by the family in 1969 to complement the far, former hop gardens, the orchards and farm were converted to organic production in 1994. Um, what Rod doesn't know about organic farming, I mean, isn't worth knowing. It's just incredible what's, what they're doing down there. Um, and, and, you know, there's no chemicals are sprayed on the apples, while herbicides, chemicals, fertilizers and manure from animals fed on GM food are strictly avoided. Um, you know, there's so much, you know, they've added two small lakes, woodlands and various wildlife habitats to the, to the farm. And, you know, they've also put a distillery in and they're making a variety of um, of um, liqueur, liqueurs and spirits there, including the crisp apple gin, organic pink flamingo gin, the organic apple vodka, the organic orchard liqueur and Calvados style organic orchard spirits. So much happening down there in High Bank and it was a very well-deserved award as well. They are all, as you say, well-deserving winners. It looks like a fantastic menu that Chef Guillaume put together for you. Unfortunately, we don't have time to yeah. go into it all, but the recipes are on the, the Irish Food Writers Guild web address if you want to give that yeah. to the listeners. That's what I was just going to say. Um, you know, there's loads of other information up there about each of the winners and the recipes and photographs. So if you go to www.irishfoodwritersguild.ie and you will get all the information there. Great. Thanks for talking to us tonight, Dee. Thanks so much, Sharon. Cheers. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. Before you finish this evening, I have one more chat to share with you, and it's with Bernie Doe, who grew up in Newcastle West, County Limerick, and now lives in Fireys in County Kerry, where, along with husband Mark, she runs the Just Cooking Cookery School. Stay tuned now for a little bit of romance on the QE2. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Bernie, they say behind every man there's a great woman there and in this case it's a Newcastle West woman and a lot of people will have heard of Mark Doe and the Just Cooking Cookery School but they might not actually realise that you're from Newcastle West. That's right, yeah, I'm from Kilachin, um, two miles outside Newcastle West, yeah. And I'm, my own maiden name is Bernie Doe and I ended up marrying a Doe. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? I know, so I didn't have to go too far, just dropped the R. Well, like all good love stories, yours has a great tale to it. Tell us how you and Mark met. Oh, right. Uh, Well, I was working in London and um, I kind of decided I wanted to go and travel a bit. None of my friends were interested. So I seen this advert for staff on the QE2. My background is catering management. But I saw an advert in the local press in London advertising for staff through Cunard, the cruise ship, working on the QE2 cruise liner. So I applied for that and uh, got the job, went on board, had a ball for a year and little did I know that I'd meet my future husband. So that's initially where we met and uh, now we're here in Kerry. <laughs> well, it's a long way from the QE2 to, to Kerry, so I'm sure you didn't just dog up in Killarney <laughs> there and end up in Kerry. So tell us the journey then from the QE2. You, you came back to Ireland and you settled in Dublin initially. Yes, we worked in the QE2 for a year and then um, I think we came back to London for a while and then we went to Australia, stayed there for 18 months and then after that we came back and lived in Dublin for eight years and I worked in the Guinness Storehouse, the famous Guinness um, Reception Centre initially and then the Guinness Storehouse Um, and I was there for eight years and Mark was the sous chef in the Marion Hotel and from there then he went to head chef Port Marnock Hotel. So we were in Dublin, as I said, for eight years, and then we kind of wanted to move to a bigger house, and I suppose Dublin was getting mad and busy, much and all as we loved it, so we decided that we wanted to move back down the country. So we were kind of checking things out. We had our Kean, our son at that stage was three, and little did we know we were expecting Katie till we moved to Kerry. And then, yeah, Mark started inquiring about some jobs, and he got offered a position in a restaurant in Killarney. So we moved down to Killarney then, and we were going to rent a house and I remember one of the weekends we came down when Mark was kind of checking things out in the job, we went for a drive, we ended up in Fireys and little did we know we'd come across a building site, found the house we're now in, moved in a few months later and then two years later, moved in a few months later, initially started doing cookery classes in our home kitchen, then could see that there was you know, a market there for us. So we decided to build an extension at the side of the house, went ahead, did that, and we built Just Cooking. I think I probably met you just before you did that extension because in 2007, I think, or 2008, I was looking for a nice, unusual present for one of my sisters-in-law, and they love cooking. So I would have Googled for cookery schools, and yours came up. And there were very few cookery schools around at that time. There certainly weren't any in County Limerick that I came across. Yeah, um, even now, I know there's a few new ones, but um, we're actually in a very good location and we do get a lot of people, even from Limerick, Cork, obviously Kerry, 
we're mid Kerry, we're just five minutes up from the airport, um, in between all the big towns. We're lucky as well, obviously there's a lot of tourists come to Kerry and they Google us beforehand, you know, a lot of tour Americans or Europeans who might be here for a week and are looking for an activity to do. They Google us, see what we can do. Obviously we have a schedule of course that anyone can join, but then there might be a group of eight or ten and we can just custom make a course for them so they can come along and they want an Irish cooking experience or they want a Thai night or We've built a barbecue area at the back because um, we're one of the accredited cookery academies for Weber barbecues. So we're very busy with them as well. So we have all the facilities here and um, yeah, so great. It's, it's fine and busy and working from home. So it works out great. So you can offer tourists a typical Irish barbecue session <laughs> where unfortunately with our weather, Yes. Most of it is done inside, but you have a great facility, as you say, out there with the canopy and, and the covered area. That's right, yeah. We have um, four, or is it five barbecues, which we got from Weber, and we have a covered barbecued hot area, and then when we run the courses, we can put up a big canopy, so nine times out of ten, you will be cooking under rain, but, you know, actually, we're quite lucky. Some of the courses, we seem to time it well, and the weather does be nice. So the guys can do all their own hands-on cooking. We have charcoal, we have gas barbecues. They do all the preparation in the cookery school, walk across the yard, basically do their cooking, and then they can enjoy their, their feast after. And it's, it's lovely. It's a lovely, even as a corporate, you know, people do it as team building if they want a hen party, something different, or just a few friends for a 50th birthday or a night out or anything. So it's great. We can custom make courses to what people would like. And unfortunately in Ireland at the moment we have a bit of a chef crisis in that there is a shortage of qualified chefs out there and that's something that yourself and Mark hold very close to your hearts and you're both involved now in the Apprentice Chef programme. Yes, the Apprentice Chef was set up initially by Mark Doe, my husband obviously, and Mark Murphy from the IT in Tralee um, and they could see that there was a shortage of chefs and also just to get students at school level fifth years usually from fifth sixth years transition years but any age can really join in open up this project for the school it's not a competition it's a project where the students can put a dish together of what they like to cook whether it be fish chicken a dessert a starter anything at all um, the students go and work out send an initial project into the apprentice chef of what they would their dish and so forth and with the backup of their home ec teacher or their TY teacher or whoever happens to be heading it up in the school um, they send the they submit a dish and then they're appointed a mentor as in either Mark or Louise who is also on board they mentor them online and so forth and then they have cook-offs in the IT in Tralee and it's amazing these students as I said could be very young 15, 16, 17 and they just flare at cooking and they produce these amazing dishes which they don't expect to produce and neither I think do a lot of their teachers or their mentors and yeah it's growing from strength to strength every year and a lot of these students then go on and study culinary arts or go to the IT in Tralee and so forth and take up a career in catering and as, as a chef. I think it's fair to say that it was the brainchild of Mark it was Mark that came up with the idea four or five years ago so we probably came in and said to you Bernie I've had an idea what was your reaction to it? Oh, like any ideas you have, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> check it, work away at it and see how it would work out. You know, you don't turn anything down, but he was quite, you know, he's very passionate about something. If he gets his head on something, he, he doesn't give it up. So it's progressed. It's great. Yeah, no, he's, he's 
so he's very interested in teaching young people, getting them in. He, he left school himself. Well, in England, the school system is different, but he left school at 16, went and did his um, chef course in his local college in um, Essex. And, um, yeah, so he progressed on from that, worked in some of the finer kitchens, worked up his career, and now he loves giving it back to students and teaching people. He probably should have been a teacher, but, yeah, he loves it. He loves passing on his knowledge and giving people the time and... He just, he just really enjoys it. Well, I think, I mean, he is a teacher now in some shape or form. Mm. And to have gone out and worked in those finer kitchens and got all that experience brings something more to the table than just training to be a teacher day one. Yes, yeah, he has the hands-on experience. He, he understands how kitchens work. He understands the pressure they're under. You know, the basic things, if you don't get the basic... I suppose ingredients right. Use local produce. If you're not if you're not using all that right, the dish isn't going to turn out as good as as you'd want to. So yeah, he has he has plenty of knowledge and tips to pass on to the students. So it must be a very different life now than life on the sea on the QE2. Like what was that like? Oh, it was great fun. It was hard. It was hard work. You'd work for three to four months without a day off. It was um, really yeah. But we were young. We were in a party mode. It didn't really bother us too much. It was it was great. You, you saw parts of the world which I'd never have seen. Obviously, um, met some good friends. No, it was great. It was a great experience. It's not something you'd want to do long term, but it's a good way of getting out there and you'd meet so many different cultures. I think there was forty, fifty different cultures on the ship and the crew alone. Not to talk of the passengers. So. You met all kinds of people. If you're a people's person and want to travel and see the world, yeah, it's a great way of doing it. And I'd be very curious about the facilities on board for staff because obviously it's a first-class experience for passengers mm. in terms of their rooms and the food and the attractions that are there. So as an employee on the ship, like, were you down in the boils of it? Yeah, more or less. We didn't seem to mind, though, because when you did get to your cabin, you were so tired, all you wanted to do was sleep. Um, no, it was good. The facilities were, were good. I mean, they were small. I mean, um, initially I think I shared a room. Yeah, there was four of us in a double cabin. And then I ended up sharing a room with an Australian girl. We had a, um, no, there was four of us in a four-berth cabin. And then we moved to a double berth. So we had a top and bottom bunk. And you basically got out of your bunk, put on your... Walked to the the cha- you know, the showers or whatever, changed your clothes and went to work. So all you had to do was walk up a few steps, but... Sometimes, depending on when you were docking, it could take you 15 minutes to get from your cabin to the actual restaurant where you'd be working. So it wasn't just... It was, it was, it's big. It's huge. I wouldn't be able to give you the exact size of it, but yeah, it's huge. It's a floating city at sea, they used to call it, with everything on it. And, and it was great. It was a great experience. You have very fond memories of it, by the signs of it. Yes, loved it. Yeah, yeah really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. What countries did you stop off at? Oh gosh, initially when you'd be kind of travelling in the summer months, you'd do a lot of transatlantics over and back to New York. So that was five days at sea. And um, then as you went on the world tour, so that took in everywhere down to Singapore, Australia, Africa, Caribbean, went through the Panama Canal. Gosh, I don't know what way around the world we went, but we went around the world. It's, yeah, so amazing. Every port you went into was such a big adventure. And, meeting all different cultures. It was great. Is it a job that you would recommend for the younger generation that are maybe out of college a year or two? Yeah, I think so. But you have to be prepared to work. There's no, there's no like, if you get seasick, tough, and you turn up for work. It's, no, it's, it's hard going. It's not easy. But the money is good because you don't really spend it on anything. 
because you've all your facilities there you don't have to worry about any bills or travel content and you don't get time to go out no you don't and then um when you did have a party which i think happened nearly every night you know everything was reduced prices for the staff anyway so all to do with tax laws in different countries so it was very very cheap and cheerful nights out but we used to have great fun god it sounds great great. and now you're here in fireys you have the just cooking cookery school and tell us about some of the courses that are coming up now over the spring and the summer okay um if we're coming up we have always like a scheduled course which anyone can join you know we have thai course italian night um five meals for the freezer family meals or saturday home baking courses are always popular they're hands-on um and then obviously once we kind of hit the end of april we'll be doing the barbecue courses our own courses and weber courses uh, we do Big Chef, Little Chef, where an adult and child can come along and cook together. It's a lovely experience, you know, with younger children, just to get them involved and get them to use fresh ingredients as well. What sort of age would the, the child be? Um, they're usually from age five, six up. Okay. We kind of say once they're okay to, you know, they're here for three hours, they're sitting, but they're not sitting, you know, that they're confident that they can, you know, stir and not to be running around I guess it's okay. not, a, not a crush setup as such but okay. um, you know, once they're at school they kind of understand that they need to be, to behave, behave I guess not <laughs> my five year old which is not five yet which is nearly there not a while. it might give her another year but they love it the kids love it because you know they're cooking with mammy or daddy or their auntie or whoever brings them it can be a friend whoever wants to bring them along and you know they're very proud of what they create and the good thing is, like, if they are making something like a pizza, they're making a proper tomato sauce to go on it, so it's not all, don't get me wrong, we have frozen pizzas in this house, but it's good to let them know how to make the real thing, how to make the proper, maybe, chicken goujons, how to make butter icing, make proper pancakes, you know, we're all, these convenience foods, as we all know, and we all use them now and again, but they're, it's good to let kids know where the real stuff comes from, of course, so, yeah. you know, and they can maybe on a Saturday make this and put it in the freezer, so... They know that during the week, if mom's making a lasagna, that she's made sauce that we made. You know, it's, so it's great. It gives kids great pride. and you know, They're proud of what they make and they know where it comes from, I guess. Details of all the courses then are on your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, www.justcooking.ie And we update them every few months. So if it might look as if there's a lot on them. Sometimes we always update them. And then if you want a group booking, just contact us directly because we get a lot of uh, work nights out or girls night out or men's night out or very busy with hen parties so forth like that so just contact us directly and we'll book in a date for you fantastic bernie great to see you thank you and thank you for coming along <laughs> cheers chin chin salut sadly that brings us to the end of tonight's show thanks so much for your company and of course to all of tonight's guests for their time ron forrestal Artie clifford d laffin and bernie doe Until next week when I'll be talking cancer-fighting foods, have a great St. Patrick's Day and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.